Welcome to the Rapid Change Matters podcast. My name is Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis, or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm interviewing top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I just wanted to let you know that I've written a quick-to-read, downloadable PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, with some great tips on getting your therapeutic suggestions to really sizzle. You can download this for free from rapidchange.works, where you can also find all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. I'm extremely excited today to be joined by Melissa Tears. Amongst other things, she's the founder of the Centre for Integrative Hypnosis, an instructor for the National Guild of Hypnotists and the International Association of Counselors and Therapists. And as an author on the subject of change work, her books have achieved much critical acclaim. When I met her in November 2016 and saw her in action, I knew I had to get her on the podcast because she blew me away with her knowledge, insight and her ability to demystify and cut to the core of the change work process. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, let's jump straight in. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and how you got started? Okay. Well, how I got started. Well, let's let's talk about uh, what I do. So I'm primarily uh, a change worker. I train um, therapists and doctors in utilizing integrative hypnosis, which is a kind of hybrid combination of um, Ericksonian and you know and uh, classical hypnosis with some neurolinguistic programming with kind of any and all uh, modalities that help me to make change faster. Typically, they are dealing with um, unconscious processing uh, and things like that. So uh, I kind of put them on in the umbrella of integrative hypnosis. It's a wide umbrella so that I can keep learning and um, incorporating uh, faster and easier um processes and techniques. So I'm primarily a trainer, but I do have a private practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm still a teacher in my sessions, you know, so I'm not a therapist uh, in any traditional sense. Um, that's kind of what I do. And um, what else can I tell you? Um, how did I get started? Well, yeah. You know, I do a lot of interviews these days, the past couple of years, and everyone wants to know that origin story, and it kind of changes depending on my mood. <laughs> you weren't bitten by a radioactive spider. <laughs> right, and, uh, you know, and who's asking and, and what the crowd is. You know, I can, I can start from way back when, you know, my fascination with altered states, as, as most kids have, um, you know, the, the spinning and making myself dizzy. I, w- I was a bit obsessional at, for a while doing that and 
hyperventilating when I was six so that I could get very close to passing out just because it was kind of trippy. I mean, that should have been the the warning <laughs> to my parents <laughs> of what was coming. But so I could start way back when. I could also start with, um, you know, a psychedelic experience I had where my mind was so totally altered and malleable and subjective experience was just absolutely um, transformable that it got me very curious as to how that is happening in the brain. And so, you know, I would say all along, curiosity is what got me into this game and it's what keeps me going in this game because, you know, we are fortunate enough to be in a field where there's no cap on it. You know, there's no, I know everything there is to know about the mind or consciousness or the brain or, you know, so I think that I could, you know, start there. I could tell the story as, you know, I guess it was my fear of death that I, I've had since I was four this obsessive fear of death that got me, you know, searching for all sorts of things. I was just about every religion I could come across by the time I was 13 because of that obsession. So I think that too led me to explore um, altered states. So, I mean, I, I could go on and on. I was a rock and roll musician, but I was absolutely fascinated by, um, what was happening in the consciousness research realm. And I would go off to these conferences, the noetic sciences and these, you know, like getting uh, quantum physicists and parapsychologists in the same room. I mean, it was pretty weird stuff. Mm. Um, and after a while, um, I took my first hypnosis training just for fun as just another way of altering my own mind and then got hooked and just took another one and another one and another one. And uh, pretty soon got tired of messing with my own mind and figured it was about time to mess with others. So, um, you know, I did that for fun, for just a hobby for, for a while, just in learning, always learning and investigating and playing um, with different altered states. And then at a certain point, started to supplement uh, my, well, I, you can't even say income if you're in, you know, a rock and roll band in New York City, but <laughs> it it was a way of of earning some cash in the back of, you know, like in the VIP rooms, in the back of CBGBs, I was uh, hypnotizing people. So that kind of uh, started my part-time business. And then I went full-time when I got pregnant, decided my, my days of stomping around in combat boots were probably behind me. Then I just kind of, um, you know, went all in. Um, I had always been learning uh, the whole time. I would, you know, any um, hypnosis training that came my way, um, I was jumping in on because I just thought it was so fascinating. So this was just a way to um, put it into a formal practice. You know, you, you get your, your official office and... <laughs> Then you kind of set it all up and you sit down and all of a sudden you realize that uh, the phone's not ringing. <laughs> and maybe I should have paid attention to the, that, that marketing part of the class. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we've, we've all been there. You know, it, it's funny because um, I still, I mean, I'm, I guess, I guess that was 18, maybe 19 years ago when I first took the, the first hypnosis class. Mm -hmm. um, and really only 17 years of full-time practice. 
Um, but I still have yet to do like the major marketing piece. I'm lucky in that I was able to start slow, you know, like building up the part-time thing, just word of mouth. Um, but you know, I've just gotten to the point where, um, I don't really have to do it too much. You know, most of my clients come by way of psychiatrists and therapists and doctors. And so I don't really have to market for my private practice. Um, and word of mouth is, is really what, uh, word of, word of mouth in those books, you know, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty good at getting the name out. One of the things that I really took away when I saw you in November <clears throat> was uh, this sense of kind of playfulness around change. And indeed, in the rapid fire round, you know, you talked about, you know, going out and playing uh, more. And that would be the advice that you would have. Um, well, I turned 50 in two weeks. And so <laughs> so you're talking about 20 years. I'll be 70. Yes. Go out and play. <laughs> Uh, you see, I, I think there are a lot of uh, therapeutic uh, people that work within therapeutic change that uh, perhaps lack that playfulness. Yeah, and change. how freaking boring is that? You know, the the whole thing about what we're doing, um, and so much of my practice these days, you know, it, it could be considered practical neuroscience. You mm. know, I'm 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 very much aware of what's happening in the brain when it changes, and when it doesn't. And so I know that if I can keep, you know, hitting a certain dopamine button, which is laughter, which is curiosity, which is novelty, these are the things that get the brain to pay attention. And we need the brain to pay attention in order for it to learn, right? And basically what we're doing is we're teaching. We're teaching a new way of thinking or being, you know, and to be kind of strategic with that, um, is, is, is crucial to kind of know where basically you need for certain things to happen and then loosen up on how that happens and make sure it's fun. You know, um, I mean, as a practitioner, have you ever gone to someone who was bored by what they do? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a nightmare. So why would I ever do that? You know, I am always learning I'm always creating. I'm always playing because it keeps me in the game. It keeps me interested. And if I'm interested, that kind of energy creates curiosity in my clients as well. And, you know, it was Bandler, I think, that said if you, if you take your clients' um, problems seriously, they're going to believe they have serious problems. And I really like that because it speaks to me, you know, mm -hmm. so people, because so many of my clients come by way of traditional therapists or psychiatrists, you know, they've done the serious road, man. They've been in therapy for 20 freaking years. If that shit worked, they wouldn't need me. So when they come in, I have to very quickly establish a very different environment, you know, and, and to, to poke fun. I mean, I'm, I'm always laughing, you know, with them or at them if it'll, if it'll break their state. So, so yeah, I think, I think it's a big, it's a big part. I mean, I, I'm in this because it's fun and it's fascinating. So as long as it continues to be fun and fascinating, I'm in, you know, and luckily we'll never kind of get to the point where there's nothing else to learn here. 
you know. I, I hope we never get to that point. No, we couldn't possibly because oh. we still don't know what the fuck mind is. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh. <laughs> Hang on a second. That was going to be my next question. What's the mind? So now we, now we know you don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, we can, you know, we can talk about, I know that, um, that there's a bit of uh, questions about, do you believe in the conscious or the unconscious mind? You know, I did a podcast with uh, Adam Eason mm. and um, we were discussing um, when I said something about, you know, u- utilizing conscious, unconscious dissociation. And, you know, there was a little s- subtle thing I heard and he's got a problem with it. <laughs> and it's so funny because I'm like, look, here's what we know. We know we've got a whole slew of unconscious processing going on. We know that we have unconscious biases and heuristics and filters. We have priming that happens without our conscious awareness, but absolutely affects our behavior, our thoughts. We know that we're primed by our environment outside of our conscious awareness. So anything and everything that is outside of our conscious awareness in my world is part of the unconscious system. Do I think it's um, <coughs> some dark teeming Freudian place with death instincts and, you know, ridiculous sexual fantasies? Please say yes. <laughs> Yes, of course, I believe that. No. (laughs) But what we do know is that we are constantly exchanging so much, millions of bits of information between each other that is outside of our conscious awareness. This has been researched. Priming is, is, you know, has some really awesome, cool research, embodied cognition and cognitive linguistics. These are all different ways of showing how we have an unconscious um, mind. And it is the conscious mind that I'm skeptical exists. That's interesting. I mean, you can look at, 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 you know, a hundred years of research. We've got uh, Daniel Kahneman and all of that. What do you think they're researching except these unconscious processes and unconscious influence? So I'm not quite clear. I think what Adam and some, some people in the field take exception to is this idea of, well, ask your unconscious if it would be willing to make this change. You know, as if the unconscious were some you know, um, you know, man in the machine, some, some God, you know, it's kind of the same way I think about God. You know, I don't think that there is some external, uh, you know, either loving or hateful, spiteful, uh, deity that exists that calls the shots. I don't believe that at all. Do I believe though that, uh, you know, that we have access to our own unconscious processing, yeah, I think we do. I think we can see the effects of unconscious priming and things. So a lot of times it's in effect that we can see it. But I do think that hypnosis allows us to kind of be more open to that space where suggestion goes in easier, where insights can be gleaned. Where do those insights come from if not from all of the input that is constantly flowing into our um, mind, (laughs) whatever that is, without our conscious awareness. So since we know 
from the priming research. And we know from embodied cognition that everything from, you know, the fact that I just moved from a hard chair to uh, a softer couch to sit here and talk to you um, is going to change my mental processing. Mm. That because, you know, the colors on the wall, you know, affect me in ways I couldn't have predicted and yet can be can be replicated in laboratories. So this is all research on the unconscious, the adaptive unconscious, which is very different than that Freudian unconscious, which is also very different than what a lot of hypnotists think the unconscious is. You know, some I mean, it always struck me as so bizarre that in the same class, the same trainer will say your unconscious is, you know, takes things literally and is like the age of a nine year old. Right. Yeah. Like, where the fuck did they get that? But anyway, don't get me started. And then <laughs> in the in, you know, in three sentences later is going to say your unconscious is all knowing. I'm like, yeah, all knowing like a nine year old is all knowing. Like, what are you talking about? And where does this come from? And where's the research? So anyway, so I get that there's some, um, uh, you know, confusion as to these labels. I mean, I'm 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 with I'm with you there, but I think to assume that um, you know, I think what we need to do is broaden the definition. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking to someone. Um, I was being interviewed uh, yesterday for. Marie Claire magazine of all. <laughs> we've all done, we've all done that. <laughs> and I mean, I think you've met me. You know that I am yes, fashion conscious is my name. Uh, you know, but anyway, I just thought it was funny. And we were talking a little bit about um, some of the research, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I was talking about how so many times it's it's not nece- it's not necessarily a, a a problem that exists outside of a problem of definition you know that uh when uh, um Ledoux has his research or like Benjamin LeBay right did that research study that caused quite a controversy when the wind up was we don't have free will mm-hmm. right and i thought it was so funny that people got really upset over that Right. And I thought it was funny that he would um, make that statement. Right. We don't have free will. We, we do have free won't, which means we can put the brakes on these processes. That was his thing. But for me, I didn't get upset because I believe that me. Right. The me that is the person who would have free will or not is bigger than just that little bandwidth we can be conscious of. And his Um, claim that we don't have free will came from, you know, some research where they were measuring reaction time. They hooked up the brain, right? So they could see what was going on in the brain. And they told people, you know, you're going to, when you make this decision, you're going to press this button or that button, you know? Mm. And so they were timing it all. And what seemed to happen is that the brain showed that they made the decision before the conscious mind made the decision, that the that there was a precursor, that there was some, that, that the brain already started the program <laughs> before they had a conscious awareness of making a decision. And that's where he said, you know, we don't have free will. But for me, because I know that I am much bigger than just the, what I can be conscious of in any given moment. I mean, the research is pretty conclusive there of our, you know, 
um, biases and, and, and filters and heuristics and things like that. Um, and so for me, I've just widened out the definition of who I am. Right. So then I say, yes, I have free will. I decided to push the button just because my conscious mind was a little late to the party. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, so anyway, sorry, I went off on a rant. No, 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 that's cool. On a, on a slightly different note, I'm curious because I think, and you've already mentioned this, that, you know, you'll see people who have had 20 years of therapy previously from maybe perhaps more traditional models. Um, and I speak to a lot of people who report that, that the same thing, but presumably there must be some people out there who are going to tradi- down traditional routes of therapeutic intervention and getting some benefits and some results. And h- how does that happen? Well, of course. Well, because, you know, people, we're not machines and we have a, a bunch of different needs, a bunch of different sets of experiences and, and a lifetime which leads us in many different directions. So some people have never had a sounding board for some of their ideas or their emotions. They've never had somewhere to talk about these things. Um, and so that insight-oriented uh, therapy is, is really um, sometimes a revelation for them. Uh, sometimes people are inadvertently doing memory reconsolidation (laughs) and that's how change has happened. You know, um, they kind of stumbled upon how the brain changes and some people are doing amazing work in a more traditional, longer form because they are aware of how the brain needs certain types of integration to happen. And so you've got people like, um, uh, Dan uh, Siegel and his, you know, group of uh, neurobiologists who are doing some interesting work with mind sight and um, understanding how the brain gets stuck and how integration happens. And then you have this woman, Bonnie, I can never pronounce her last name. Um, she wrote a book called being a brain-wise therapist, and she's lovely. And she goes into, she basically goes into trance. She doesn't call it that. She calls it a right brain. She holds a right brain space, (laughs) (laughs) right? But if you know about, and I'm not even sure she knows about exactly this, the way that therapeutic memory reconsolidation works is that there has to be um, a kind of space, right? You have to be able to be in a space where you are safe enough to, to, to access the affect, the emotion, and then memory reconsolidation will lift that memory up and you've got a few hours before it gets reconsolidated in the brain. Well, if that memory comes up, that let's say some trauma, and you've got a loving, compassionate person sitting across from you holding that space. Wow, I'm sounding so Californian right now. But <laughs> then that comfort, that safety, gets reconsolidated back into the brain. And I think a lot of traditional therapists, if they're good, they're um, cultivating this. They're helping this to happen without an awareness of what's happening in the brain. So that people have a way of telling their stories in a safe space. And that safety gets reconsolidated back into the brain. 
So, you know, I used to be pretty intolerant of the, you know, the long form uh, drawn out, especially psychoanalysis, really don't get me started on that. But, um, but now I, I see that, you know, different people need different things and, and that there's ways of benefiting. You know, sometimes it's not about, and I know this is going against your podcast here, but sometimes it's not all about the need for a quick fix, rapid change. It's, you know, and not to say that a quick fix is something less than um, an amazing change because, you know, I'm talking about change that lasts forever, ridiculous, you know, I mean, regardless if it's uh, fast or slow. But I think there are some people who don't have the benefit of having someone um, that they can, um, you know, speak to hmm. and and kind of explore their their deeper emotions and you know especially in this world i mean especially men there you know it's not it's not really um culturally appropriate still i mean we like to say that you know those stereotypes are you know fading away but oh they are not and so sometimes you know whenever someone says they've been in therapy and it's helped them, then I stop my clock and mm -hmm. I say, tell me how, how specifically, because I'm curious and I heard it enough. Now, granted, the majority of people sitting in my office are like, oh man, I've been in therapy for <laughs> years. I still, you know, I'm still depressed or whatever. And so they've had it with that. But at this point, I'm meeting so many more people that did that are having benefit from it and so i i do ask i'm like hold up time out <laughs> yep. how ha how has it helped you you know like what do you mean talk to me because i need to learn because i was very you know hardcore intolerant for a long time and that too can can uh keep us stuck so i i i totally agree and also just uh reiterate to any of the listeners out there that whilst this is called rapid uh, change matters my own personal view is that rapid change for me means as rapid as it can be done and sometimes like some people need time time can be a factor yeah um, yeah you, you know, know in the same way that you know um, as as a hypnotist um, you know some people really like a rapid induction you know, it, we can get to some of the more fun states faster. And yet there's clearly a lot of people that benefit from a, a slower entryway into trans states because then they can kind of, you know, kind of sink into comfort, but they also are aware of how they're getting there mm. and can get there without you. Whereas the, you know, the real rapid instant inductions are a little confusing for people and they don't know how to get the, themselves. So I'm all about uh, cultivating um, self-hypnosis with every client so that they, they leave me with way more skills than, you know, than they came to me with. I mean, you've talked about memory reconsolidation, which was already going to be one of my questions, given that you've, <laughs> given that in your post uh, your your post UK hypnosis convention workshop, uh, you did pitch that as the neurological key to rapid change, and I thought, wow, <laughs> we, we've got to talk about memory reconsolidation. Um, 
but also to, <clears throat> I, I i know obviously you do a lot of work and around uh, the meta pattern yes can you elaborate well, it, a little bit about what that sure. is and how that guides you absolutely so you know, first, when I say that memory reconsolidation is is the neurological key to rapid change, and yeah, that's me trying to, you know, word it in such a way as to get people interested, right? <laughs> it is a post-conference workshop. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted it to sound good, you know. Um, it does. I'm coming. Excellent. So here's why, right? So we know certain things about neuroplasticity and how the brain changes, right? And I, I teach two forms. The first form is the counteractive strategy, which is um, kind of self-directed neuroplasticity is where you teach people how to uh, rewire their own brain. That usually takes repetition, right? Neurons that fire together, wire together. You've heard that phrase. Mm -hmm. And so that's how um, uh, neuroscience says things change, right? You, you, you fire them enough, you fire them enough, and they wire together. But Learning that was was amazing, but it didn't necessarily cover everything that I was seeing in my office. Because if that's the way the brain changes, then how come I just, you know, got rid of this phobia with someone in 10 minutes? Like, what's happening in the brain when that happens? And so memory reconsolidation, and, and more importantly, the therapeutic memory reconsolidation, which is slightly different than a more standard typical um, memory reconsolidation, which simply states that every time, you know, you remember something, you kind of lift it out of the brain and it becomes malleable again. And, you know, memory is not what we thought it was, right? It's not this recorder that you can just rewind and go back. It really is an active uh, synthetic process. You know, it's, it's pulling from all different regions of the brain every time you recall something. Mm. And, it's as if you lift it out of the brain, it becomes malleable, and then you've got like a window, you know, like six hours, I believe, um, five to six hours, where the brain will reconsolidate that memory, putting it back in the necessary um, regions. Well, for therapeutic reconsolidation to happen, you definitely need certain things uh, to, to happen, right? And I'm talking about a therapeutic reconsolidation where you are affecting like memories that can even go back to, you know, pre-verbal implicit emotional memories. And for that to happen, you need to first um, make sure that you activate the neural network involved. In other words, it can't be memory from a dissociated state, right? Because then you're just talking about something and it's a cognitive process. Mm -hmm. When you get someone to associate in, which by the way is step one of the meta pattern, <laughs> then you activate that neural network. That's when you, once you do the change work and, and in, in, reconsolidation language they're going to say that you need to you need to have a prediction error a mismatch and that's where you take someone who you know was phobic of your elevator you do some process and almost any process that you love that actually creates change um can can work here i'm not wedded to just one but once you do the process and they get in the elevator without the anxiety, that's what starts to activate the 
protein synthesis for the memory reconsolidation. It's the mismatch, the prediction error. Mm-hmm. Because your brain is a prediction machine, right? It's when the prediction, it, it gets interrupted or doesn't happen that the brain kind of comes alive and pays attention. And that's novelty. That's, ooh, what's happening here? <laughs> We're not just running on automatic. Um, so the meta pattern um, actually contains ways of, I mean, contains within it everything you need, really, for memory reconsolidation. Now, the meta pattern is this four-step pattern that is underneath almost all change work. I used to say all, but not really. As Steve Andreas pointed out fairly recently, you know, when you're dealing with um, context reframes and some of the linguistic ways, perceptual shifts... Mm. And that type of sometimes belief change work, then maybe, I mean, I could reach for it and I could fit it into the meta pattern usually, but so I'm just going to be safe and say almost all. And when it was first pointed out to be me by my friend, John Overdurf, who, who is the guy who really did, you know, uncover this and make it explicit mm-hmm. and his conversational approach to utilizing the meta pattern is one that, you know, changed everything about how I work, you know, when I heard that. And John is a good friend of me. He's one of the best minds in the business, I think, because he never stops. He keeps learning. You know, um, I was recently hanging out with him just for vacation in Mexico. Um, I figure for the for the swearing in of the toddler in chief, I didn't want to be in this freaking country. Um, and so the best place to go would be Mexico. <laughs> and it was also John's birthday. So we went and um, he was my way of staying sane when my country has gone crazy. Uh, and we were joking that we were there building the wall. <laughs> <laughs> but um, while we were there, we were talking. And, and one of the, the things that I love about John is he's, he has this um, telecoaching you Uh, series, right, which is ongoing, I think every month. Uh, It's phone calls from people uh, call in from everywhere in the world Mm -hmm. to do these classes. And his whole reason behind doing it is it forces him to innovate, to come up with something new every month. And I thought, you know, this is someone who's been an amazing NLP trainer, a hypnosis trainer, you know, timeline therapy trainer. He's been in the game as well as being a, a an actual psychotherapist and in, in mental institutions um, for 50 years. You mm. know? Oh, my God, 40 years. Sorry, John. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, to... to I just love that that's how he keeps himself going. You know, it's, it's what I'm always saying, which is curiosity. And you have to keep learning here in order to stay excited about it and to stay curious. And so the meta pattern comes from him. And it really is, um, when I first heard it, I remember just intensively analyzing everything that I did in my sessions that worked and every technique and every process and literally fitting like transposing the meta pattern over this and saying oh my god he's right it really is 
It's in this process, in this process, in this process. <laughs> so whether it's regression to cause or whether it's re-imprinting or any of the, you know, the other techniques, EMDR, EFT, you name it, CBT on some levels, um, only when it's good, uh, <laughs> you know, you're, you're hitting these, these patterns. So um, to me, if you know that, then you make up your own patterns. You understand? So to me, that's what was, that's what I love teaching. And I teach this meta pattern pretty much in the second day of class mm. because I want all of my students to understand there is a basic structure here and there are a million ways to hit each of these four steps. You can be as creative as the client, right? And let the client lead you. And it's, it's, it's really freeing. You know, one of the, um, one of the catchphrases that I am <laughs> unfortunately known for, or fortunately, I don't know anymore, um, is something that I say in every class that is something that I wish I had known when I first started, right? Mm -hmm. And that is, this shit is all made up. And when you get that, and you really get it, <laughs> And I mean, I could expand out on that and talk about how, I mean, it's all made up. Everything you think you are seeing right now is, is on some level created by your brain. You know, it's like I could go on and on about that. But I mean, in this field here, every process, every induction, every technique is made up. Somebody mm -hmm. made it up and it worked for someone and then it worked for another and it worked for another and pretty soon it made it into the canon. You know what I mean? So... If I had understood that when I first started, I could have just saved myself years of stressing out over doing things right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Last year, uh, I was at a conference, and this is why I was laughing ab about this phrase, because I was speaking to a new uh, batch of hypnotists. It was like some, um, you know, when someone speaks at the graduation. Anyway, it was uh, one of those speeches they asked me to give. And so I used that phrase. I said, here's some things I wish I had known, right? Mm -hmm. This shit is all made up. Well, over the course of the weekend, so many people were quoting me, but they were misquoting me. <laughs> <laughs> and you would think, how the fuck can you mess that one up, right? I mean, it's, it's pretty simple and short and straight to the point. But there were like trainers up there, like as Melissa Tears says, it's all shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like oh my god that's not what I said and then I mean it just kept devolving and at one point towards the end of the conference I was at the bar with you know a bunch of the trainers and we were all joking about it because everyone had heard some variation <laughs> and these are like my friends you know we teach at conferences together so they know me they know that that's not what I said <laughs> and as we're talking about it this woman comes up to us and goes, oh, my God, you know, I've been quoting you all weekend. And everyone just went really quiet and looked at her. And she said, as Melissa Tears says, it's all bullshit. And I went, oh, my God. Like, that's it. <laughs> and when I tried to correct her, she was like, no, no, I have it on tape. <laughs> so anyway, so that's why I, I joke about it. But I do think it's, it's key and crucial to relaxing around uh, change work and mm. being a bit more playful and understanding that 
you know, on some level, none of it's real. Their stories aren't real. Their core, what is a core belief? I can never find that anywhere in the brain. Hmm. But don't get me started. Um, <laughs> can you so, give me a, a couple of real examples um, where you have witnessed rapid change? Things that, you know, would make uh, arguably traditional therapists who might be listening go, really? That can't have happened. Really? Oh my. Well, the funny thing is, you know, when you are doing this for so many years and when you're training people to do it uh, for so many years, I've, I've been teaching as well for 12, 13 years maybe, um, you see it every day. So you almost get jaded a little bit. And it's only when I'm sitting with a room full of therapists that I see the shocked look on their face when someone who, you know, couldn't do something for their whole life all of a sudden can. Mm. When, you know, we, we take a, a phobia away where they, you know, they, they can't even imagine going anywhere near the thing and then, you know, are in the elevator or they're touching this very almost lifelike snake that I have. I have a drawer of lots of goodies because I like to check my work. So, you know, you open that drawer, you never know what the hell I'm going to pull out. I got a snake. I got a very realistic rat. I've got spiders, you know, because I want to make sure that the, that the same physiology, the same facial expression, breath rate, everything that, you know, is a, is a, a state, an emotional and physiological state indicator is not there at the end of the session. So I've seen, I mean, just to give you some examples, I, I, I suppose, um, people that couldn't even imagine getting up in front of the group, um, you know, but were taken into a little office where one of my students on the second day of class took away their, you know, um, their fear of public speaking. And on the second day, they get up there and they give a whole little song and dance. We've seen that where prior to that, the thought of even, you know, raising their hand and asking a question was too much. So I've seen, you know, all sorts of phobias go away. I mean, right there. But I've, I've seen other interesting things. I um, once had uh, a, a woman who had really a, a swollen um, hand and we did the, some EFT or whatever because I had done some tapping and it got rid of her pain and then she said too bad you can't do something with the swelling and I said well who knows let's try it and the swelling went down right before our eyes it was fascinating cool. I mean fascinating so we've seen like I've seen things like that I've seen hives absolutely disappear in front of a big group of people so we, you know, I've seen things like that, but mostly it's, it's the, it's the, um, emotional change, the fears, the phobias, the, you know, the anger, um, things like that, I guess that would be more, um, shocking to traditional therapists that you can change these things very rapidly. Yeah. And those, as I said, in my, in my class, I'm always dealing with that because I train therapists. So, you know, the look on their face when they feel <laughs> the fear go down to zero doing a stupid little trick, 
they're yeah. like, what the hell? And then you see them trying and I, I provoke it, you know, change should not be fragile. And that's one of the things that I'm always drilling into my students, you know, minds if I can, because everyone, they do a piece of change work and then they don't want to upset it, yep. you know? And I'm like, look, if it's going to be upset by you here now, what do you think the real world's going to be like? So I am always looping and looping it around, kind of hitting, you know, that the awareness that uh, the neurons are going to keep firing together and it's just going to strengthen the change. I will keep asking, like my friend does, my friend John, who taught me this, he is so funny because he'll take people around and around hitting the trigger, right? And he'll say, how do you feel now? And they'll be like, God, I feel great. He'll say, how do you know? <laughs> Are you sure? And he just keeps pushing until finally they're like, I'm done, dude. It's good. <laughs> so I never want a client. I never want to try and convince someone they've changed. It's always the opposite in my, in my office. They have to convince me they've changed. That's, that's, that's a, really cool. It's a much better, uh, you know, position to take because they have to really um, keep doing it in their own minds to ensure that, that they, they really have changed. And that's a good convincer. Tell me, who would you recommend people should read more of or learn more from if they want to get good at change work? Well, certainly um, – John Overdurf. I mean, I've, I've mentioned him countless times because I, I do believe he's had the most impact uh, mm -hmm. in, in, in my work and the work of my students. I, I bring them to my center every year. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's some really good uh, change workers out there. And, you know, one of the things that I always try to encourage people to do is, you know, don't just stick with the hypnosis field. See who's doing pioneering work in, in neuroscience, in neurobiology, in, you know, go to an improv class if you want to get good at change work. You know, um, I think uh, James Tripp is someone to watch. You know, I, I like uh, watching how he allows his mind to expand, you know, from you know, a very staunch position, it seemed at first to, you know, to widening out uh, all the time. And I love that. You know, I, I think that I'll be, you know, touching down uh, with his work for, for years. I'm kind of excited to watch him grow, you know. Um, I think you always want to look at um, who is, exploring and innovating and not just necessarily reiterating uh, what their teachers have said. And so I naturally gravitate towards people like that. I was um, just listening to uh, a webinar today on um, polyvagal theory, Stephen Porges. And although I'm well you know, aware of his work and read his book many years ago, Pretty much every year I like to touch down and see where he's at mm -hmm. because he's always questioning. So I, I, I think to myself, I saw the email and I'm like, 97 bucks, hmm. And I wasn't going to get it because I'm like, Melissa, you know his work. You know what this means. But there were a few things in the description that piqued my interest. And I'm like, oh, fuck it, 97 bucks there. I'm turning it over. And... It's because I know that last year he was starting a study. 
So now, a year later, I get to hear the results. Mm-hmm. <laughs> More importantly, I get to hear the questions he's asking now. And that is kind of what gets me excited, right? These guys who have been in it, you know, for a long time and are still asking questions. Bessel van der Kolk is someone who I've, I've taken a, a, a workshop with. You know, I, I like him, too, and how he's always expanding and growing and so th- those are definitely, you know, some some people I'm always fascinated to to learn from. You know, I think um, the the Brits that I met just last year at that conference, I had never met Adam Eason. I had that podcast mm. uh, with him, um, but just meeting him and and realizing he's he's very much into you know the current research and you know he's got a mind that wants to know why, and um, so that is interesting to me as well. I got to meet the Jacquins, who are people that I you know can sit and listen to, and smile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I think um, where Anthony Jacquin is going is um, is going to be good. You know, I can, you know, I feel like an old lady in that, <laughs> you know, like these are all these young, young boys. And, um, you know, I turned 50 in uh, two, two weeks. But I love I, I get excited. I'm I can I can sense just by certain things he's starting to explore. Yeah. Right. This this kind of um, little thing he he took the, the group through, which is kind of expanding uh, beyond perceptual positions. And so I am excited to see where that train of thought leads him. So I think there's a you know, there's some really exciting things going on and, and you want to expand out and not just be in the, you know, hypnosis world because, uh, you know, you to me, anything that deals with um, the mind and the body and the mind-body connection has a place, you know, whether it's Ernest Rossi exploring the psychobiology of gene expression and how he's kind of settling into a really nice, simple form. Or, you know, so I'll stop there, but I could go on and on. You know, Steve Gilligan is, is, is always a one with his generative trance stuff is kind of interesting. I mean, right now I'm reading books that you would think don't have necessarily anything to do with the mind field, but they totally do. I'm reading this book called uh, 10% Human. Have you heard of that? No. Oh, my God. Anyway, it deals with the microbiome, and I had no freaking idea. Like, you think microbiome, you know, you, you think, oh, yes, probiotics, it's good for the gut to, you know, bacteria, but you don't really know. (laughs) you don't really know that for every one of your cells you've got nine hitchhikers that are not you it's fucking weird and we've evolved together and we've put that in jeopardy um with all of our antibiotics and things like that and that's why we have all these crazy diseases but for me it's about how it affects the mind Mm -hmm. you know that people don't understand that you've got you know that you've got neurons all over the place, not just in your brain, you know, like your mind has escaped the skull um, and that, you know, a large percentage of your serotonin is, is made in the gut. And then you've got a lot of your oxytocin, the cuddling, the social, you know, bonding chemical is made in your heart. 
because there's neurons in your heart. And most people don't think of, you know, we just think of the brain. I know I only did. Mm. Um, but when you start to expand out, then it's about, ooh, how can I use this? Right? So for me, it's all about, hmm, how can I use this? Who's going to be good for me to pass this information on? Can I come up with a really simple, simple metaphor to get this across that mm. people need to start to look at, you know, what they're eating and not just for themselves, but for, you know, the 90 freaking percent of them that's not human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before that, I was listening to a book called Parasites in the Brain, and you're just that's just some freaky shit. We are all zombies on some level, but we won't even go there. Um, so I'm always expanding out. And what's funny is these things that seem like they're unrelated always wind up getting folded in somehow to what I do. Mm-hmm. And that is the beauty of, you know, creating a, 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 a bigger umbrella, you know, not boxing myself in. And that was, you know, one of the things I'm very happy about uh, my younger self doing is naming my first book and my training in integrative hypnosis, or as you might say, integrative. I, I, um, <laughs> I, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> because what it does is it, it it's basically meaningless, you mm. know, like anything can be integrated in so that I have uh, – you know, this box that doesn't have a lid on it. <laughs> and I can just keep, you know, p- pulling from everywhere and putting it into into the, the box, you know, like what's going to help people to change mm-hmm. faster, simpler, um, and, and in a more cohesive way, right? A congruent way. You don't just change the behavior. You know, you've got to change the brain, you don't just change the brain and the behavior. You've got to change the meaning they give to this. You've got to change the perception. You've got to change the values. You know, so it really needs to line up. And when you kind of like take all of that into account, you start to see things a little differently. And you think, ah, oh, I need a basic alignment between the, 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 this brain and this brain and this brain. Mm-hmm. Right? And, oh, what connects those? Interesting, there's that vagus nerve again. So how important is that for change workers to know? How important is that for our clients to be able to downregulate an overactive system that's causing disruption, causing stress, anxiety, uh, you know, um, gastro issues, all of this stuff. So for me, it all fits. How can we take what's going on in epigenetics and translate it into a practical thing in our office? Mm. Is there a way to get in there and turn on or turn off certain gene expression? So, I mean, we are, we are living at the coolest time to be a change worker because we now have the instrumentation to peer inside the brain as it's functioning, the body as it's moving. You know, we yeah. have um, the, the, the wherewithal to even know where to look now. So I think it's a really cool, you know, if we were doing hypnosis, uh, you know, 40 years ago, it would be a whole different game. We'd still be trying to convince people that hypnosis existed, <laughs> right? Or that there, there was some utility 
for it. We we would still be saying no, no, Esdale, look at look at him, look what he was able to do, you know, and and pointing. But now we we have finer and finer distinctions we can make. Anyway. I'm it's, not even sure what question I was answering. I, I didn't even know, but it, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. <laughs> absolutely fascinating. Melissa, if people are listening and they're keen to hear more from you, where should they go? How should they get in touch? Um, well, I, I do a lot of traveling. So even if you're not in the States or in New York City, um, if you go to my website, melissatears.com, it's pretty simple. I also have another one called Center for Integrative Hypnosis.com, which is uh, an online training site um, where people can, you know, I have my eight day training um, recorded and filmed and my four day coaching the unconscious mind, um, as well as a few other things available. Um, if you're on Facebook, you can, you know, like my center page and then you kind of get updated, or, you know, my newsletter is another way, or just, show up at one of the conferences and uh, come and say hello. You know, I mean, as, as you know, I'm, I'm pretty accessible there. I like hanging out and meeting people. And if there's a presenter I'd never heard of, you know, I'm sitting in their class, you know, so mm. <laughs> I'm always learning, you know, sometimes it's just a little nugget that I can, you know, like a little, little shiny toy I can walk away with and then start tearing it apart and putting it together again. It's very, very, very cool to talk, and all of the links that you've mentioned, uh, we will be putting on the uh, the episode guide uh, as oh, well. Yeah, what links did I mention? MelissaTears.com. Oh, 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 okay. <laughs> Sorry, but because normally I do when I teach, I'll say, "Okay, Google Priming." Okay, everybody, write this yeah. down. Embodied cognition. Google it. Okay, <laughs> go to go to this place. Go to this place. I'm I'm. I'm funny that way. So. Well, if you, if you do, honestly, if you do have some recommendations of things that our listeners should could, could look up and could be of interest, then uh, we can also put those on as well. And All right. Be, well, that would be really you good. You know, if they're listening, then they just heard some of the key things that if you if you Google that stuff, you're it's you're gonna jump into the rabbit hole for a good long while. It sounds awesome. Yeah, it's fun stuff. Well, Melissa, thank you so much. It's been such a lot of fun uh, talking to you and getting a flavor for this kind of this playful uh, attitude and, and, and mindset that you totally embody. Uh, and I just hope that uh, it, it, people are as enthused uh, about it as I am. And it, it's quite infectious, I have to tell you. Excellent. Well, that's that's my job, man. It's to in, inspire people to go and learn more um, because this this stuff is fun. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, why not share it with anyone you think might be interested, and even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review. You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapidchangeworks. And of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those free five steps to getting your suggestions to sizzle over at rapidchange.works. <laughs>